You are listening to Rouge, White and Blue, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Welcome to the Rouge, White and Blue CFL Podcast. It's playoff time. I'm your host, Oz Davis, and joining as always, is my co-host, Joe Pritchard. Joe, are you ready for this? I'm not ready for the season to end. I don't know what you're talking about. Don't we have more? Don't we have a full week of games to talk about this week? Uh, yeah, it's full. It's full of two games. What I like about this time of year is now for three straight weeks, the CFL is only on Sunday. And I was thinking to myself, that must mean we're in the playoffs. So there we go. Three weeks of Sunday Canadian football uh, starting next weekend. I guess before we start the show, uh, of course, on everybody's mind is probably the holiday. So I just want to say to everybody, happy Doctor Who Day. Oh, and we don't celebrate that? Okay. Happy Thanksgiving to all the Americans because uh, I'm probably going to forget to say it at the end of the show because I suck. So so have a happy holiday and uh Enjoy these games on Sunday rather than that other brand of football that I understand also plays on Sunday. Yeah, I, I've heard some things about that, yes. Yeah, yeah, something about some other league. I think I think it's the new USFL, maybe. Have you been hearing about this USFL, Joe? Yes, I'm seeing that they're really playing on the uh, whole um, nostalgia factor, I guess. I mean, they're going to play... They're going to have eight teams play in one city, and they've got eight teams named after different cities. So, Yeah, that's pretty wild. We're getting into this era of sports where those city names mean less and less all the time. Um, You can go back to the 80s and talk about the Jets and the Giants playing in New Jersey and still calling themselves New York, but Nowadays, these little fly-by-night leagues, this stuff happens all the time. They get to a point where everybody's playing in the same city or in two cities, but yet they're named Los Angeles and Washington. All this stuff, and they're just not. So, I, I mean, I suppose if you wanted to look at look at this with with rose-tinted glasses, it's like eventually, once they figure out that they're okay, they can make some money. They'll eventually go play in those cities, and they're get they're ta- they're taking the time to build the fan base before they're throwing a lot of money at stadium rent and what have you. But you know, I don't know. I'm skeptical of the whole thing for more than just the normal reasons. The normal reasons being spring football doesn't make money, and nobody seems to get that. Okay, what nobody seems to get for me is this. Okay, there's only two selling points of football, right? And that is one is the talent, of course, and two is the tradition and the ritual, right? So you're starting this new league, and it's not like the old USFL. It's not like the old WFL. They're not going to be able to draw proper talent. They're not going to get Heisman Trophy winners. Hell, the USFL had four or five Hall of Famers, eventually. The XFL 1.0 was excited when Tommy Maddox was starting quarterback for Pittsburgh for a couple of seasons. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, just the, the talent and, and, and the possibility to offer the, the contracts necessary just isn't there. Now, by the same token, you're also trying to move into an area which depends in terms of the college football market in Birmingham and the bro football markets and all those other cities that they're in. It just isn't there. There's no tradition. There's, I, mean, I think that's why they went back to the old names. Is so they could go back and say, oh, yeah, remember the Philadelphia Stars? Remember that one year of the New Orleans Breakers? <laughs> you know, they're trying to cling on to whatever nostalgia is left for the USFL. I, in, to that respect, I'm shocked that they named the team the New Jersey Generals. I thought for sure they'd want to distance themselves from the former owner of that team, but nope, nope. Or maybe not. He's kind of popular in some circles. That's true. That's true, especially if they're going to play the whole season in Birmingham. But what I was thinking what might be funny is if they're going to play the whole season in Birmingham, maybe what they should do, uh, they should do what they used to do in the 19th century. Like just name these teams after streets. (laughs) So you have the Racine Cardinals, you know, so you have like the, the main breakers or something like that, you know, before they find their city. Just do that. Anyway, is that starting like in 2022? That's the thought. And it sounds like Fox is on board. So, yeah, I mean, Fox's... that 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 aspect kind it puts them ahead of the AAF and the, XF, the recent, okay. most recent XFL okay. in giving themselves at least a little bit of credibility on TV. Now. That doesn't mean that Fox isn't going to cut and run as soon as they realize what a big mistake they've made, <laughs> like say NBC did with the XFL. That was the thing. Right. I, I thought NBC being committed to the XFL meant that it had a few years to get itself on its feet. It had a few months, so we'll see. Though I mean, I don't know. I'll be I'll be honest. I I watch far less sports than I used to. I don't really know what the heck Fox has in the spring anyway. So maybe they do stick with it if it's cheap, especially if they only have to do one city for a year or two where they don't have to spend a whole lot of money to make this work. Yeah. 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 You could have the advantage of putting the whole league in one city is that, yeah, you can also put all the media in that one city too. You could make like a really sharp network program. And to, and to be fair to Fox too. I mean, it's not like they don't have to replace NFL announcers every couple of years, you know, just natural order of things. Some it's, the older guys retire, some of the younger guys can't cut it. So why not have your own training ground? That also makes sense on Fox's end, but we'll see. see uh, I'm, a, I'm a big, big maybe on this. Although I have to say, I do kind of, I do kind of like how they, how they uh, modernized some of the looks, and they didn't go too far off the beaten path. But then again, I'm not old enough to actually have remembered this happening either. So I, <laughs> so really, the market they're going after is 50 plus, if that's what they're gunning for. But yeah. they also have that kind of, at least a little bit of a hook there, as far as people may remember way back when and may transfer that feeling of nostalgia to buy them a couple of weeks of here's our product take a look and and yeah. that might get more people in the door initially <clears throat> and then you and then you get more sticking around probably not as many as they hope but it at least <sighs> gives them 
a tiny bit of a hook to say, hey, check this out. It's not like you're doing anything else uh, on the third week of February or whatever. Yeah, for the football art course. But even then, even then, I was talking with somebody else about this. And not, you know, we talk about nowadays how the NBA is a 12-month league, you know. Even- the NFL is a 12-month league. Right. There you go. Like they're, you're talking free agency, you're talking draft, yeah. you're talking combine around then too. Hot stove in baseball, you know. But the point is, is that real fandom is a 12 month a year mm-hmm. thing too. So it's like this is also going to hurt the USFL. They might pick up some college fans who like want to see the grads from their school, but that's and and, the, and another point to make too is that we talk about all of these about these spring leagues that pop up that are, Hey, it'd be great for the NFL to have a feeder league. Well, they have practice rosters and they have 53 man rosters when these win leagues were actually taking a crack at them and trying to compete with them. The NFL like 45 man rosters and practice rosters. That wasn't really uh, that much of a thing. Maybe a couple players here and there, and I'm sure teams stashed a couple guys in the hotel in case, I mean, that was, rampant in the cfl in the 80s just doing some of the research i've been doing for the board game but in there and then again too the cfl had like 35 man rosters and sure it was more like 45 after you talk about the injury lists and the players that were hiding but there's less there's more players signed to contracts with the nfl and cfl now than they were before so those players the players that were making up the core of these leagues as development leagues like even your nfl europe's they're already in nfl camps they're already in cfl camps yeah yeah and then the nfl's done a better job over the last 20 years of finding talent that doesn't quite fit their mold and trying to find a way to utilize them whereas in the 80s and 90s it was if you don't fit this mold you don't play our game right so that's also out the window so the need for these development leagues is becoming less and less as time goes on yeah and 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 it's harder to start up a developmental league you know the further you are into your history i mean just nfl nfl football just has no history of developmental leagues just like over in hockey hockey has this continuing history of independent professional leagues now there's nothing like that in north america that's a unique situation Try again, try and form an independent league in football. You know, you, I don't think you could do it in hockey either, but the old independent leagues can still coexist with the NHL and the big European leagues. So, but football, and you know, of course, one of the weaknesses of football is it's played in two countries. It's played, I mean, yeah, be... it's played in a few countries and it's cost prohibitive to start. Yeah, you could start a independent basketball league if you felt like it, as long as you had a gym and you had enough enough uh, enough money to pay twenty four players. Yep, they could bring their own. They could bring their own shirts and shorts and play shirts and skins for all you care. You're not. You don't have a huge outlay as far as starting costs with football. Yep, astronomical. Same same thing with soccer. I mean, there's a reason why every town of over 1,500 people has a a team that plays organized soccer in Europe. I mean, because it's easy. You know, you just need a little patch of land and 11 guys kooky enough to go out and kick a ball around. That's it. You know, I mean, but football is demanding. So anyway, well, that was quite a diversion. 
All right. So while we're looking forward to the USFL season, uh, let's talk the remaining games here. CFL. We've got two playoff games this week on that nice 1 p.m. slash 4 p.m. Eastern time uh, schedule. We're starting off, of course, with the East. And, and we have, oh, my God. My extremely disappointing Montreal Alouettes at the Hamilton Tiger Cats. As far as I can tell, there is no point spread posted for this game yet. I can't imagine this is a pick'em, and uh, all I'm seeing on the official website is zero. So I don't, I don't think this line is up. <sighs> all right. Well, I guess I'll just give my summary of Montreal here uh, after that very sad loss in last week of the season to Ottawa at home. Um, you know, Vernon Adams may be a real heart attack inducer, but the Alouettes are two and three without him since he got knocked out, I shouldn't say, for the season. And the Owls really haven't had a legitimate win in a month since that Week 12 win against Toronto in Montreal. Um, this season, the Alouettes have split with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, but both games were in, you know, they're in weeks four and nine, uh, which is like about a million years ago at this point. And what's worse to me for this game in particular is that that week nine win, the, <laughs> the major part of the Alouettes offense didn't work. Uh, Standback had just, 83 total yards in that game, a long of 11, and no touchdowns. And I'm kind of concerned that if they can't get Stan back going, nothing's going to happen for the Alzans. Yeah, I would be worried if I were you too. Um, <laughs> Hamilton's got probably the second best defense in the league. They're clearly not the first, but they're in in the game as far as good defenses are concerned. Their biggest bugaboo is special teams. Can they kick the ball between the uprights and get some points off of some of the drives they put together? Yeah, like Joe said, they're one of the better defenses in the league. Their point differential in just the last five games is plus 55 and they're plus 87 on the year. Um, I guess for me, the question is, yeah, I'm really expecting kind of both of these games to be real uh, defensive struggles, really slogging out battles here. Because that's what the whole season's basically been. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seems, well, yeah, in all games not involving Bernard Adams. You know, again, like he was the shot of adrenaline, not only for these Alouettes, but for the league. I mean, the only, most of the comeback wins this year were, were the Owls, or against the Owls, for that matter. I'm not sure what to make of this Hamilton offense. You know, I, don't, I wonder if they could put together three touchdowns. Uh, they haven't exactly been a point machine lately. Brandon Banks has been better in this past four and one run than he had been in the first, you know, two thirds of the season, even when he was playing. But here's Jeremiah Masoli. And, uh, you know, he's just not been impressive all season. In the last real game Hamilton played uh, in the 13th game of their 14, I mean, he was what? I got his line here. It's 22 of 40 for 320 yards and two interceptions, zero touchdowns. Uh, this is a real battle of unimpressive quarterbacks here. How low will this score be? And and can, can Montreal just shut the door on these guys? Because I think that's what's going to take. 
I don't know if they're going to be able to shut the door on him. I just don't see that happening. Uh, I, I feel like 20 to 13 feels right, and wow. I don't think it's going your way. <laughs> okay. And, and the reason it's going to be 20 is because they're going to miss an extra point somewhere along the way. Oh, okay. So not a not, so there's not a field goal, a couple of rouges in there? No rouges no. in this case? Nah. So. Nope. The doc is going to be pissed. Yeah, that's that's that nice traditional 2013 score. Yeah, I can imagine that, I guess. I guess I should thank you, Joe, picking the Tiger Cats in this game. Um, let's hope your luck at pick'em extends into the playoffs. Hey, I, I'm over 500 for the season. All right. I'm over 500. Actually, I went five, four and one the last week of the season, so I feel pretty proud of that. And the only game you lost was the Montreal game or the Winnipeg game? It wasn't the Winnipeg game. I think it was the Montreal game. All right. Well, I guess I'm going to go with Joe on this one. I'll take the yeah, I'll take the Tiger Cats. Probably minus the seven. Yeah, I just I can't I can't take the Owls in good conscience. I suppose I should be a fan and take the Owls. So I'll change it. I'll take the Owls. But honestly, I don't really think they'll win this game. And I guess I'll have to be happy with the Argos. Smoking the Thai cats, which I don't know. I had high hopes for a couple of weeks ago, but now I don't know what to make of these teams. Calgary Stampeders at Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I believe the Stamps are a three-point underdog as we record this on Tuesday night. Uh, I was again, I was ready for the Stamps to look a lot better than this before last week. I mean, last week, of course, they're playing. I guess in the first half, it was mostly the first string of the Bombers, but second string in the second half, Bo Levy-Mitchell only played the first half 7 of 11 for 39 yards. Incredible. I was watching this thing, and I didn't even think he had completed seven passes, but then you know he had at least one for zero yards, so that was probably part of it. No, that game was very much a preseason game when you're facing that same team in like week two or three and don't want to show them anything. Well, they certainly achieved that. I mean, it was hilarious because on the last drive of the half, he didn't even bother trying to throw. It was just, you know, run, run, two and out, punt, let Winnipeg have the ball one more time. I mean, it was it was definitely a let's not show anything. So the stamps, I guess, have got to be considered I mean, to me, they got to be receiving brownie points here going into this thing. They're the hottest team going into these playoffs, technically. I suppose really the Bombers are because they've been hotter all season. But Calgary is trending up here. They're on a 6-1 run. And I should Mm -hmm. point out that, you know, the defense has not allowed more than three touchdowns this whole season. Yeah, even Winnipeg's been over them early in the season. It came down to a matter of a couple yards on a field goal attempt. Paredes was short from 52. He's never had a big foot like a lot of other kickers, but I was pretty sure he was going to make that kick. So, But his range, his range is more of the 45 to 50 variety than anything over, which is, well, he's one of the most accurate kickers in CFL history. Um, so I guess it's I guess it's uh, okay to, for him to have that one flaw of not being of not being all that consistent over fifty like maybe what Justin Medlock might have been at one point yeah, yeah. I mean but who else nobody exactly um, of course this season the Stamps and the Riders uh, memorably played that three games in four weeks 
Um, all three games were close. The Stamps ended up two and one in there. Uh, this, the Riders, too, are coming in on a four and one run, um, including that loss to the Ticats. So, really, their first string is on a four and oh run. Um, and prior to that last game, I wanted to say this as well the all the Riders games have been decided by seven or fewer points including all those games of stamps. So here's the other thing I found out about these teams, looking back at the past box scores, going over the highlights, whatever. In all three games, Calgary won the race to 10. Okay, but in all three games, they were outscored in the second half. So which of these trends, if either or both, do, do you see continuing in this game and if both trends continue, who wins this one? I could see, I can easily see Calgary winning the race to 10. Um, I'm really trying not to let my blue and gold show, but <laughs> even, even after they finished off that three game series with the stamps, what they called Stamps Tober in Saskatchewan, even <laughs> nice. after they finished that off with the win, they what barely beat Montreal. Yeah. who were dealing with quarterback issues at that point already. Yeah. They barely beat Edmonton twice, which isn't a good sign for anybody. And then they had, and then they, and then they played backups against Hamilton, which you mm-hmm. can't really say much about. They're not, they're not lighting up the scoreboard. And if they fall behind, I don't see them rallying. For a fourth time. How about that? <laughs> Too bad Pythagorean wins aren't very uh, reliable on just 14 games because no, I would like they, to see them. They number. put up 29 against Edmonton the second time around, uh-huh. and that was their highest scoring game for the second half of the season. Yeah. I mean, in this second half, again, in the second half, you know, aside from that last game, every single game is being decided by a touchdown. They had a very favorable schedule too. Once mm-hmm. you get, once you get past week, even eight, really. But starting in week nine, they had the stamps three times, but that's all they had. Mm-hmm. They also had Edmonton twice. Yeah. At the end, they didn't even have to bother with Hamilton because they had already mm-hmm. clinched what they had. So yeah, and it's wild too because it feels like that the riders have been trending down for a long time. I mean, I was surprised. And, and yet they've been winning. Yeah, that was the thing. Months. I was surprised. I know that like, my memory is not what it used to me. But still, I mean, I was surprised when I looked back at it and, and saw that they were actually on a 4 and one run. It's like it sure doesn't seem like it. You know, they, they don't have any of these signature wins or stirring comebacks this season. If there's anything to speak for them, it's their defense has become a consistent threat. Yeah. Now going but back, think... flipping the coin the other way, the biggest point total they gave up in the second half of the season was 24 to Edmonton in a game that Saskatchewan scored 29. They also have a big giving up a lot of points. Yeah, but on the other other hand, about the only team still left in this thing. Well, actually, the only two teams left in this thing where you cannot say the defense is markedly better than the offense are the Argos and the, and the Bombers. Well, yeah, I mean, Winnipeg's defense is on another stratosphere as compared to the, <laughs> yeah. the league. But their offense is also one of the tops in the league, which is why yeah. they have the record they do. Even 
basically conceding the last two games of the season. Yeah, but the point is that defense winning in the postseason is not going to be a relevant argument, I don't think, in these playoffs. I mean, there's compared to the teams that did not make these playoffs, I mean, these defenses are, yeah, okay, they're not a Winnipeg's level, but they're another defensive struggle in this game, you think? I think so. I think we're going to look at something like 20 to 17, like the other three games mm-hmm. were. And a lot of insanity in the last five minutes because they're all going to do crazy things. I have a theory. I have a theory, and it was even it was even buttressed by your suggestion that they were playing a preseason game last week. I think the bomb. I think the the stamps are going to smoke them. I think they're going to blow them out. I really do. I got I got a feeling about there's this element of the stamps where they seem to play possible coming down the stretch a little bit these past seasons and you know i wonder if that's what's up right now because at times they seem to be a lot better than 8 16 and they did start very poorly again they're on that six and one run and then of course last week as the Calgary faithful on CFL Twitter are well reminding, last week, look, it was a comeback win. And yeah, okay, maybe the second string, da 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 da, but it's a comeback win. You know, they scored three times in that fourth quarter, and you know that's impressive. Yep, and the and another point in Calgary's favor, they got Reggie Begleton back a couple weeks ago, and he's been Reggie Begleton. Yeah. Like right off the hop. A lot of times you see a guy coming back to the CFL after, say, Labor Day because of the NFL cuts. And they're like, and, and, and yeah, you remember the name, but you don't remember the game because they just don't come back the same way. Not not in this case. Not in this case. Reggie's ready to play. So, so yeah, I honestly think that, uh, yeah, take those three points that the sportsbook is giving you, but I really think. I think the riders are in for a long day. And I think those poor rider fans coming out to see the game are in for a long day. I just have a feeling. Uh, to be fair, I think whoever wins the first quarter wins this game. Well, that, yeah. But then you also said that the Stamps are going to win the race to 10. So. I think they will. There you go. But if I'm wrong about that, I'm wrong about the game. Because if you get that, if you get that Saskatchewan crowd into it, especially getting off to a hot early start, and maybe going up two scores in the first half, I, I, I would find it pretty hard for them to be shut down. Well, the Riders faithful is certainly in game form already on Twitter. That's for sure. <laughs> They're ready to play this game. Aren't they always? Yeah. Yeah, they really are. They really are. I got to admit. Um, it's almost a shame, Joe, I'm sure you'll agree, when the Riders are eliminated and all the faithful have to calm down. Isn't it? But do they? <laughs> or do they? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess not if Calgary were the great cop. I guess they No, I think life. they hate Calgary more than they hate Winnipeg. Oh yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I think if Calgary were the great cup, the riders would come back to life a little bit for that for that week. Um, all right, Joe. What do you got for us? How do you want to take us out here? I'm hoping that we're spoiled this weekend with with more excitement than we're expecting. Okay. And how do you feel about Toronto's chances 
after this last week's games. Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> they've got they've got one game at home to go to the Grey Cup. I feel pretty darn confident about that, considering that Hamilton's had multiple chances to claw back into the into the race yeah. and take first place. They had a couple of chances on a silver platter, and they just refused to take them. Yeah, you're right about that. All right then, great. As we as we await the inevitable Bombers Argos Gray Cup, we'll sign off for this edition of the Rouge White Blue. I'm Oz Davis for my colleague Stuart Pritchard. We're out of here. Talk to you next week and enjoy the games. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter. 